Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, I'm going to make the case for the universal code. And I'll tell you what I mean by universal code of conduct in just a minute. But first, uh, I have been remiss in the last few episodes not asking you to subscribe. Please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. It does make a huge difference to us uh, the more people that we have subscribing to the podcast, listening to the podcast. Uh, it uh, It's important to us. That's why we do it. And, and as always, if you've got questions, if you have suggestions, if there's something you'd like us to cover, we love hearing from everybody out there that listens to the podcast. So please do uh, feel free to get in touch with us. You can contact us through compliancebeat.com or you can contact me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. And we always like to hear from our podcast listeners. Uh, also, a little bit of housekeeping. I mentioned, I think, the last couple of weeks, we've got a couple of uh, f- uh, webinars coming up. Uh, the one next week uh, in conjunction with ECI and SAI Global uh, is uh, for Bullying Month. The, if you didn't know, this is uh, October is Anti-Bullying Month. Uh, and it's entitled Bullying in the Workplace. Uh, and that will be happening next Thursday, October 18th, 2018, at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, It's 1 p.m. Eastern. And I will be on that webinar with uh, Ellen Cobb and Karen Yapchai from Teneco. It should be great uh, if you're interested in signing up. It is free. Um, The sign-up information, the link, will be in the show notes for this podcast. Second webinar that's coming up, it's a, uh, a code of conduct webinar that I am um, undertaking with the Clear Law Institute, updating your code of conduct best practices. That will be on October 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, both of these webinars, I believe, um, are either have either applied or have CCB credits. I believe uh, the Clear Law Institute has already been certified for 1.2 hours, I believe, of CCB compliance certification credit for your CCEP, CH. CHC, CHRC, um, and there is the ability to get some CLE credit uh, depending on the states uh, that you are licensed in for that Code of Conduct Best Practices webinar. That will just be yours truly on that. Uh, again, uh, information uh, uh, link to signing up or registering for that webinar is in the show notes. That Clear Law Institute webinar is not free. However, I do have a discount code for those of you who want to send me an email or send us an email through compliancebeat.com. Say you're a listener and you'd like to get the discount code for the Clear Law Institute webinar. Uh, just uh, drop us a line and I will uh, forward that to you and you can get a discount. Uh, so with those uh, pr- preliminaries out of the way, it's a lot, lot going on here as we head into the fall. Um, and I, I neglected to mention SCCE. I'll probably do a special podcast about SCCE just here in the next week uh, as we're getting ready for that. Um, SCCE, SCCE, CEI, by the way, in Las Vegas, um, end of this month. Uh, but I, I turn to uh, Code of Conduct as I often do, uh, and it's surprising the amount of times uh, Code of Conduct uh, shows up uh, in the news if you're already attuned to um, hearing about it. Uh, 
obviously one news item that has been keeping everybody in thrall here in the United States over the last uh, two weeks or so has been the confirmation of the newest associate Supreme Court Justice, Brent Kavanaugh. Um, during that, and in some of the press uh, around that, uh, one fact that came out that I was um, that I was unaware of, uh, that I didn't know about, um, but but has been um, in some of the news st- stories, and if you research it, you'll find out that it is true, is that uh, believe it or not, uh, Supreme Court justices are the only federal judges in the entire system, in the entire federal United States justice system the only judges that do not or are not obliged to follow the code of conduct for judicial officers for judges in the united states it kind of blew my mind when i uh uh, read that and i thought well maybe that can't possibly be true and i actually uh, did a little bit of research and it is true it's interesting um that uh, uh the justices themselves are uh exempt from the code of ethics that applies, the code of conduct rather, that applies to all other federal judges. Uh, And it led me to uh, wanting to talk a little bit about the case for the universal code. And what I mean by the universal code is just that, a code that applies to everyone uh, is uh, unitary, is one code of conduct for the organization. Uh, And um, also I think a third aspect that I want to talk about is waiver, uh, and 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 I want to make a case for no waiver uh, of the code of conduct for anyone. I think it's important philosophically for an organization uh, if you are asking people to behave ethically and you are asking people to follow the guidelines that you're setting out in a code of conduct. It has to apply to everyone from the board of directors of the organization, the executives, through all of the employees, and anybody else who is representing the company. More and more often, this is not that big of a deal, but every, every, every once in a while, something comes up, or I come across clients, uh, or, or a new story like this one about the Supreme Court justices, that uh, kind of brings you back to the, to the idea that this is not uh, a universal thing yet, that some organizations still kind of parse out or piece out uh, a code of conduct for um, officers of the organization and another code of conduct for employees. Uh, That's not as common as it used to be, but it does still exist. Um, There's also uh, a sort of a splitting of the ways, if you will, after Sarbanes-Oxley, where some organizations feel like they need to have a separate code of conduct just for uh, senior financial officers of the organization to meet SOX requirements that somehow needs to be separate or apart or different from uh, uh, the the code of conduct for everyone. I think those are wrong-headed ideas. I think what you want to have is a code and present that code and present those basic fundamental pieces of the puzzle, those those fundamental risk topics, those fundamental expectations, uh, those fundamental resources to everyone and that they apply to everyone in all cases. Um, it's, it's an important, uh, you know, I hate to use the kind of overused cliche term, but it's an important piece of optics for your compliance program that everybody understand that the code applies to them and it applies to everyone. 
We all know, if you look at any survey data that's out there, we all know that next to fear of retaliation, the number one reason why people do not come forward and tell you about all the bad stuff that's going on in your organization is because they don't believe the company will do anything about it because of the people involved. That there is a different sort of justice for people in the executive suite versus those that are on the shop floor. You've got to diffuse that and the code can be a great tool to diffuse that and to amplify the notion that everybody is going to be held to the same standards. So the number one thing that I think you have to do if you want to have a universal code, and you should want to have a universal code, is that it should apply to everyone. It should be the code that applies to the board and to the executives and to the employees and to any other third parties, joint venture partners, uh, uh, distributors, whatever, however you're going to design it. The people that are going to be um, representing your organization that you want to bring into the fold. Uh, there's a lot of questions about you know those third parties and who gets brought in and who doesn't and companies take different tactics with regards to that. But the one thing that should not happen in this day and age shouldn't be happening at the highest level of our federal judiciary in the United States, certainly, is that uh, the executives or the board members or the governing authority of that organization should never be exempt from the code of conduct or have a separate code of conduct that sends the wrong signal and it is, I think, unsustainable in the it, with the expectation that stakeholders have these days around organizations and compliance and ethics. So that's the first thing that you think, I think the first component of a universal code. The second one is sort of related to the first um, and that is that there should only be one code. There shouldn't be a code for different regions of the world. There shouldn't be a code for different subdivisions of your organization. Everybody should be working from the same page. Everybody should have the same understanding. And for the same reasoning that all, all individuals, no matter where they're placed in the organization, should be subject to the code, uh, is the same reason you want to have one unifying code. Particularly with organizations in this day and age where we've gone through in the last few years uh, an uptick in mergers and acquisitions and uh, combinations, uh, joint ventures, all of those things are happening with increasing frequency uh, throughout the world. You need to have some unifying principles that matter to everybody in that organization. There needs to be an overarching code. Now perhaps that code doesn't define everything. Perhaps that, perhaps that code refers to local uh, information or local guidance on particular topics. That all makes sense and that, that is totally totally acceptable. But you have to have some underlying basic principles, some organizational values, and some general statements about the expectations around things like reporting that are going to be consistent no matter where you are in the organization and no matter where in the world and no matter what part or business unit and no matter what level. So uh, that goes hand in hand with the first point that uh, to have a universal code, there can only be one. There can only be one. Um, I 
find, again, as with the first point, less and less organizations that are kind of staking out this ground still, although it's still out there. It's, there's still uh, some organizations that are like, well, we, you know, we have this one subsidiary that kind of does their own thing, and so we've allowed them to keep their own code. I think that's a mistake. I think uh, that, again, there should be some underlying fundamental principles that everybody in the organization has to get behind. And there should be an understanding and a communication from the senior management of the organization about those consistent uh, principles those consistent values throughout the organization no matter where you're placed and no matter what your role might be. And then the third thing, and this is one, uh, if the first two are probably uh, true with you know at least a slight majority of organizations out there, although again I was surprised to hear about uh, the Supreme Court, uh, if the first two are, are mostly true or becoming mostly true, this last one is certainly uh, one that I don't see um, happening very much, but I'm a big advocate for. And that is a waiver uh, section of your code that says there will be no waivers of this code. Um, the waiver section is a requirement if you are a publicly traded company in the United States uh, and uh, publicly traded on the NASDAQ or NYSE, and I believe a couple of the other smaller exchanges, they all have uh, a written requirement that if you have a code, there's certain things that you have to do with your code of conduct. One is make it publicly available if you're publicly traded, and the other is have some sort of waiver section. Um, traditionally, this waiver section has had some sort of convoluted language about what the board of directors will do if uh, a senior executive wants a waiver and what an employee will have to do, what kind of hoops you need to jump through, who approves it, how it gets done. Uh, my feeling is there shouldn't be anything in the organization's code of conduct that needs to be waived ever ever. If there is, I think you need to have a discussion about whether that section needs to be rewritten or perhaps does not need to be in the code of conduct. If it's that granular or it's that uh, imprecise that there can be some question about whether it should apply or not. The waiver section, I believe, in conjunction with these other two principles I'm talking about, about making a universal code, a code that everybody can believe in, is the waiver should be that there is no waiver. The waiver section should be that there is no waiver. That sends a strong message about the importance of the document that you've just read. Because usually the waiver section is the last part. And so if you wanted to be a cynical pedant about it, you could read that whole thing and then get to the end and then there's this, you know, two sentences that says basically none of this will apply if you can jump through these hoops and, and, and impress, uh, you know, either the board or some other committee. Now, I know that in practical terms, probably in most cases, the code is not ever going to be waived. And your lawyers, uh, who are always concerned about the what ifs, are going to say, oh, well, you know, we need to have this in here just in case. You never know. No. I, I, I'm pretty confident that your code of conduct should have principles and uh, expectations that should never be waived. I'm a real strong advocate of this, as you can tell. Um, now, if the first two are, are, are two that, that probably most of you can agree with, even if they're not fully implemented at your organization, the last one might be more of an uphill struggle if uh, the waiver provision as it stands has been that way forever, and nobody really wants to change it. 
But it would be my strong suggestion that you have that discussion next time your code of conduct is up for review, that you seriously consider doing away with any kind of waiver option for the material in that code of conduct and make a strong and clear statement to everybody who reads that, that this code will not be waived, will not be moved, will not be changed, will not be ignored. That's important. It's an important message. And I think uh, I, I, I don't win uh, as many of those battles with my clients when I'm working with them on their codes of conduct as I wish I could. Um, but I think it's important. And, and if there's something in there, uh, some provision in that code of conduct that you look at and you say, mm, you know, there might be a circumstance where we want to waive this, then I think you need to reexamine that that uh, section or that provision and, and, and determine why it is you think it might have to be waived um, and under what circumstances. And again, perhaps it needs to be rewritten or rethought um, or perhaps it should not be in the code of conduct if it's that granular and that mushy as to whether it can apply or not. The code of conduct should be some basic principles, some basic things that we can all agree on are against our values, against our code, against our rules, against the law, and not allowed, and therefore should never be waived. So those are three things that I think make up uh, a universal code, a code that applies to everybody, a code that has some backbone to it and um, you know can stand on its own. Uh, so first of all, it has to apply to everyone. There should only be one version of that code. The other thing I should say about one versions too is if you have one version, it's a whole heck of a lot easier uh, to make sure that you can update it and have version control. If you have multiple different types of codes out there, that's a much more difficult prospect. So it's a practical consideration as well. And then lastly, don't waive the code. Your waiver provision, because you have to have one, your waiver provision should read, there is no waiver of our code. That's my opinion about it anyway. So uh, I hope that uh, you uh, uh, enjoyed that. And if you, again, uh, have enjoyed this podcast and, and other ver other uh, editions of this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, contact us if you have any questions or comments or suggestions. Um, and please join us for one of our free webinars or see us in Las Vegas at SCCECEI uh, end of this month. We uh, have a booth there. Uh, so if you're going to be attending, we sure would like to see you. And until next time, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.